North Otago. It's rich in history and strong in character. And you have found the podcast that celebrates all that is good within our district. Join Gary and Damien every week as they either interview a legend or someone who is putting North Otago on the map yet again. North Otago legends, up-and-comers, and a bit of history. The name says it all. Hello again. Hello again. Back again for another great day, Gary. Indeed. And another great podcast. Well, we certainly hope so. Well, well, <laughs> no, I'm, 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 I've got I'm, high confidence. Yeah, no, almost guaranteed, I'm sure. Yeah, almost guaranteed. Yep. So you're doing okay? Yeah. Yeah, yep. no, just busy, busy everywhere. Yep. Yeah. What, you're coming up to, what were you saying before? You're oh, busy doing annual plan annual, and yeah. Yeah, working through different strategies at council and yeah. starting thinking about a long-term plan. So, yeah, this, this is where you on. really make, make the money, eh? Like, you earn, you, earn your keep. <laughs> earn, yeah. earn it, Yeah, yes. earn your keep. There we go. There it is. Yeah. Yeah. But oh, no. very good. Thank you for doing that. Um, thank you, team. I know it's long hours and a lot of reading and that, but it's really important, vital what those mm. all, your whole team does and what it does for our community. So oh, Absolutely. Yeah. Now, someone we have on the podcast today... Is she a saint? <laughs> she's just a beautiful person. Would uh, you say that? She's definitely she's a wonderful person. I'm not gonna yeah um, embarrass her too much. No, so, no. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think yeah, they, you know, there's some people that you talk to, you know around the community. You talk to to a lot of people, and there's yeah. some people that they you know names keep coming up, and yeah, you know, because of their involvement and because of their dedication and so on. And this is definitely one of those people. Hmm. I'll let you introduce her. Yeah, well, I was re- I'm really pleased to uh, that that uh, she did actually say yes to coming on the podcast because mm. I think people will appreciate the the stories she's got to tell. Mm. Um, so, yeah, a very warm welcome, Helen Elgar. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, definitely not a saint, though. <laughs> You're sitting there with that look about, oh, where are these two boys going? Yeah. Hey, but Helen, to be honest, um, I've had quite a few people say, hey, you have to talk to Helen Alga. But it's just who you are and what you've done in our community. People really respect you and respect the work you've done. So we're going to start off by saying thank you very much for everything you've done in our community. Um you do it with an amazing attitude, amazing heart, and and it's just really best, um, Waitaki, North Otago, and especially Omaru. Um, so thank you for doing all that, but we'll get on to that in a minute. Yeah. So we always start with one particular question, and, we'll, and it's normally Damien that asks it, but um, because I actually don't know what the answer is, I'm going to ask. So were you born um, and bred in North Otago, or did you come here and uh, um, from somewhere else? What? So it's a bit of a yes to both of those things. So um, definitely bred in North Otago. Um, my family, my children are fifth generation, actually. But technically, I was actually born in Christchurch. So came back here when I was seven, and there's no way I'm going to tell you what year that was. But um, <laughs> So, yeah, my, my mother and my mother's family have been here forever. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Right. So, yeah, very strong roots and a lot of family connections. Yeah, really, yeah. really deep roots. Yeah. Yeah. 
So for seven years in Christchurch before you made that amazing decision to convince the family to move down here, back here, what did you do in Christchurch? Actually, I don't remember Christchurch, Damien, because I was just a teeny tiny baby. We moved from there to um, Ashburton, and what I remember about Ashburton is my mother worked in a dairy, which was across a railway bridge, so my father worked on the railway, so we moved around a little bit in those years, and... um, my first memory really is walking across that bridge with her to uh, to the dairy where she worked. Wow. And then we moved to the West Coast and we lived in, first of all, Nokawar. And I, in Nokawar I got hit by a bus because I started school when I was five. My family would say that's my problem, I got hit by a bus <laughs> when I was five. But um, we lived in Nokawar and I started school went by bus to Granity, which my children thought was hilarious when we went back to visit Nokawar and Granity, because, like, there's hardly any distance <laughs> between the two. Um, and then we lived in Granity and then moved to Westport and came here when I was seven. So I loved the West Coast. Yeah. Absolutely loved it. And you still like going there to visit and holiday? And, I yeah. do, and I was quite traumatised because we went for a bit of a family sort of heart trip back to the west coast and I went to show my children all the houses I lived in and there was only one left because they were railway houses and they just got moved moved off yeah so tell us the bus story what happened I was just really stupid so (laughs) I was five and I got off the bus and instead of walking around the back of the bus like I'd been told I walked around the front yeah I was fine but the poor bus driver was pretty (laughs) traumatised So, so you just got knocked over, it wasn't yeah, no, yeah, no no serious injuries? No. no That's no. good, at least. But I've never forgotten, mm. always walk around the back of a bus. Yes. <laughs> so whereabouts in relation to Greymouth or Hagataka or is Nakawa? Uh That's a good question. Uh, a wee way away, quite a way away, yeah. really. It's sort of Nakawa, Granity and Westport, so you're sort of moving up. Up the coast, yeah. yeah. I don't think I've ever, ever been there, Gary. Uh, well, definitely re- remember being in Granity briefly. Okay. <laughs> and when you he- drive through, it doesn't take very long. And um, Hector, yeah. my dad, like it was amazing childhood. Like yeah. mum and mum and dad used to. We used to drive to the pub. You know, all the families would go to the pub, and the kids would sit in the car and have fish and chips and. Soft drink and then eventually the kids would migrate into the pub and then everybody would drive home. You would never do it now. No. And fishing, you know, we used to go down to the mouth of the river at Hector and, you know, you get flounder and white bait and all sorts of things. And I remember them boiling up mussels in the backyard. It was fantastic. Yeah. So as far as you mentioned siblings before or family? One brother. One brother, older or younger? Seven years younger. Oh, wow. Yeah, we like each other now. (laughs) (laughs) Did you um, resent him a wee bit for coming along? Just a little bit, maybe. (laughs) So was he born here when when, when you'd moved? He was born in Westport actually just before we moved. So, yeah, yeah. And you probably regretted that you brought him with you. <laughs> yeah, well, he always was the favourite. You know, I've learned to live with that. That's fine. <laughs> and so what was the reason? Was it the railways or what? Yeah, that you come back to Amaru? Yes, my dad got a job here and my mother was quite homesick, so she had a large extended family, so she had um, 13 siblings, so 
she had a large extended family and her parents were here, so she really wanted to come home. So that's so what, why they came. So what was her maiden name? Todd. Okay. One of the Todds. One of the Todds. Yep. Yep. Oh, very good. Um, so what was it like coming from the West Coast, the wild West Coast, and, and coming to relative normality? Suburbia. <laughs> um, coming over to Omaru. I hated it. Yeah. I absolutely hated it because we we just used to wander free, you know. We'd wander up into the bush and play, play sort of chicken with the cold buckets as they came down. And, you know, it was just, it was a wonderful, wonderful lifestyle. And we came and lived in Nen Street and I hated it. Mm. Went to a school that I didn't know anybody. I didn't really fit in. It was, yeah, it was really, I wasn't happy at all for quite a long time. Was that North School? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I worked there, there many years later, and absolutely yes. it was wonderful school, but <laughs> as a new newbie coming into to a, I guess, a community, a school community where mm. everybody knew each other, it was pretty tough. Yeah. How long do you think it took you a good couple of years to settle in and make friends? Or I didn't. No. <laughs> no, I didn't. No. We actually moved house, and yeah. so I ended up going to Awamoa School, and that just... It just was a better fit for me, and I love that too. Massive, great big playing fields, and you know our neighbours went to the same school, and yeah, just settled in and really enjoyed that. Pretty small role compared to North School at that time. Yes, it yeah. was a that's that's right. Actually, it was a much more intimate school. So yep. that suited your yep. Because it would have almost been rural. I mean, certainly surrounded by paddocks. Yeah. 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 Yep. Definitely, we used to walk through paddocks to get yeah. there. So, yeah. Yeah. It's right. Great. Okay. And and so, any particular memories from school days? Um. Yeah, I hated swimming. Still do. Um, love swimming, but just not in school pools. Uh, just a great experience at Awamoa School and then moving on to intermediate, I think I really, I was always quite shy. I remember a certain teacher um, growling at me quite firmly because at Awamoa I always used to, I love reading, I've always loved reading and I'd get my head in a book and then the class would move on to the next activity and Helen's sitting there with her head in a book. Um, but intermediate I really thrived, I, I think I kind of, matured late, if you like, in terms of school. I was never really that good at school. It wasn't a place where I felt like I succeeded particularly well. But an intermediate, socially, I really enjoyed it. It was just a different mix of kids. And and then going on to Waitaki Girls, um, a fantastic experience at school at Waitaki Girls. But unfortunately, I had to leave. I always thought I'd stay at school and be a teacher. But family circumstances meant that I had to leave in the, at the end of the fifth form, which was which was quite heartbreaking for me, but you do what you have to do when it's family, so that's what I did, and um, left school before really I was ready. But in retrospect, you know, things happen in life and, and you take a pathway and there's a reason for that. So, mm. so you went into work from yes, the fifth Yes, form? Um, I... Initially uh, covered my mother's position in a small garage and then I went from there to um, GT Gillies okay. Limited. Yes. So um, I went in there as an office junior. So, yeah, it's that, quite different now Yeah, it was, when it was, when it was quite a, an empire back <laughs> it, then. It definitely was an empire, yep. 
Yep, so, and that's where I met Robert, so, yeah. yeah. So, um, where, where, was that based in, on Thames Street there? Yes. Yeah. Yep, so I worked in a little office, and I can remember Bill McClay passing the petrol money, so the people would pull up, you'll remember they used to have petrol pumps, oops, on the main street. I've seen pictures. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Gary. Oh, God. Come yeah, on. Gary. Um, yeah. yeah, and it was... Um, yeah, it was a great office. There's some girls I worked with there that um that are still around town and mm. still connect with occasionally. But it was quite a different a different era really. And I remember I was I was on the computer, but the cu- computer was this great big monstrosity that had a room of its own. So mm. yeah, it was quite an experience. And we used to get for morning tea provided by our employer. Um, Biscuits and cheese, and then for afternoon tea we would have uh, cake and biscuits. Actually, I got really fat because <laughs> morning tea we would go across to the dairy and we would get something, and then lunch we would duck up to Willits's tea rooms and get a pie or sausage rolls or something, and then afternoon tea, after we'd had our cake, we'd go and get chips from the fish and chip shop across the road. So, yeah, I got quite large <laughs> while I was there. Yeah, risk of the job. Occupational hazard, yeah. As an employer, obviously mm-hmm. looked after you for morning and afternoon yeah, teas and things, did. but yeah, yeah was, was it a good um, business to be part of? It was. It was a really good business to be part of because they were quite progressive um, and quite characterful. I remember GT Gillies telling me, Lass, when you park, you never look behind. It doesn't matter. You just don't look behind. And, of course... We used to have angle parks along the main street and every time he was here he used to back out and well it felt like every time back out and collide with somebody coming <laughs> along Thames Street. Yeah, and I remember actually Robert and I we went to visit him once in his Tyne Street house and we pulled into the drive and had to exit really rapidly because he was pulling out of the garage right on top of and us. And he wasn't looking behind. Well, he, he apologised. So sorry, so sorry, folks. He said, I walked out to the gate and looked up and down the street and nothing was coming. <laughs> <laughs> and by that stage, he was well in his 90s. So, oh, yeah, wow. it was, um, yeah, it was fun. And yep. as employers, they did look <laughs> after us. And we used to have the socials and... It was great, and there was quite a mix of people. So you had, you know, you had the parts department, you had the mechanics, you had the car sales, um, you had people from the foundry popping in and out, and you had the had the office. And mm. then, of course, we did a bit for Seaview Lower Hut as well. So it was, yeah, it was quite good. Yeah, no, it was quite entrepreneurial back in the day. Yeah, yeah. So you met Robert there. Yep. Yeah? Yep. Yep, and then we got engaged, and so it probably didn't seem like a good idea to stay there. So I um, got a job at the BNZ, and I have to be honest and say I learnt to add up in my head when I was a teller, and I had no choice. I had to always avoided numbers up until then, and I went in as, um, I guess, uh, typist or secretary for the bank manager of the day, but then sort of went through and ended up as a teller. Um, and was there for a while and then um, went on to SIMU Insurance, which was, um, that was cool. They became AMI? AMI. Yeah. 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 Right, so a bit of variety of jobs and 
yeah, at some point you decided to start a family. Well, yeah, we had trouble starting a family actually, and I actually had thirteen miscarriages in my life. Um, so in the end, we decided we would we would go down the adoption path. So we did that, and at the time I was working in quite a different job. I actually had a part time job at Teen Talk, which was a, a you know teen fashion shop, and. Um, it was basically a case of working one day, got notified we had a baby the next day, and three days later went and picked our son up from uh, Timaru, which was, <coughs> which was very exciting for both of us. But um, not having the preparation time, I guess, was, <laughs> was quite interesting because mm. excited though we were and absolutely thrilled to have this, this absolutely gorgeous little boy who was only 10 days old, I remember after a couple of weeks saying to Robert, oh, I don't, I'm so bored. I just feel like we never go anywhere. And he said, oh, no, we don't. Let's go to the pictures. And in those days, you got all dressed up and everything. So we went and got all dressed up and we, we hopped in the car and we're driving down the hill. <laughs> we were in Eden Street. And um, I said to him, oh, I'm so sorry. I don't know why, why I just moan. We, should, we don't need to be bored. We can just go to the, oh, my gosh, we've got a baby. <laughs> Who was at home asleep in the best <laughs> yeah, around and go home. <laughs> So, yeah. Right. Yeah. Other than locking all the kids in the car, I think that was probably the only time I really <laughs> mucked it up. Yeah. yeah. Difficult adjusting to that different, you know, new mindset of you actually got responsibility yeah. sitting there. Yeah. The 24-7 responsibility with no preparation is, yeah. is quite a different experience, but really cool as well. <laughs> and I've, I've met um, Matt's actual biological mother, um, if, like much later, like not pretty relatively recently, actually, and we got on really well. So, yeah, we're just so grateful to have had that opportunity in that gift yeah and then we went on to have our own biological children actually so yeah so that was great wow yeah no pretty tragic with miscarriages and so forth especially yeah. you go through it that many times so it wasn't fun <laughs> no and yeah just just a very difficult time for anyone but um yeah that just shapes who you are really doesn't mm. it so mm. it is what it is you can't you can't change it it's just how you deal with it I yeah guess. But you, but you stayed positive, and that's pretty remarkable. Well, yes and no. So um, obviously because of um, Robert's neurofibromatosis, which I wasn't aware was genetic for a long time, and neither was he. So we had Jonathan, and mm. that was cool. Um, and then we had Daniel, and um, Daniel had um, clearly was going to have a disfigurement, which was quite hard to take. So I did get very depressed and was actually quite mentally unwell at that time. Um, so I think that probably everything just culminated for that. And But, um, yeah, we worked our, our way through that and came out the other side. So so if you don't mind me asking, how did you get through like that? Obviously there's been um, some grief and some loss there. Yep. And then you said, yeah, mentally unwell. So what How? What did you um, do? To... I was hospitalised yeah. um, for probably, I think it, it wasn't long, about five days. Yeah. But that was a shocking experience. It, it certainly made me appreciate what people who are mentally unwell go through when they go into a, yeah. an institution. It's not necessarily the right place. Um, and I had great family support and fantastic friends. And um, 
yeah, and obviously medication and things like that. And yep. it's it takes time though. It's not a five minute fix. And we had quite significant issues with both of our biological children from a health perspective because of the neurofibromatosis. So there was a lot going on. Yeah. Can you just explain that disease? So neurofibromatosis is, um, I guess the best way to describe it, it's a condition where tumours grow on the nerves. So it's not like like if you have a cancerous tumour, often they're like a pea in a pod and you can just scoop them out. But neurofibromatosis, the tumours actually grow around nerves like octopus tentacles, so you can't actually cut them out. And they can go, you can have a very mild form and just have some skin lesions and get on with your life, or you can have quite significant disabilities as a result. And both of our kids were quite significantly affected, like Jonathan, um, neither of them intellectually, which was good, but um, Jonathan had severe spinal issues. Um, So he's actually had, I think he had now... I can't remember how many, so I won't say, but a number of scoliosis surgeries, so from the age of 13 right up until a couple of years ago. Uh, so he's, his spine's completely fused now. Yeah. And he has other issues. Um, he actually had significant bowel problems and all sorts of things. But he's doing really good now. He's only got one surgery left, and I think hopefully he'll have a few years of of really good life, um, as in meaning that he's not tied to a hospital. And, of course, Daniel developed the facial disfigurement, so his tumours were in quite significant parts of his head and brain and face and things like that. So, yeah, it was challenging challenging for them. Yeah, definitely difficult for a a kid with that, and and, and I'm sure you were feeling for him. You know, some of that social issues around, yep. you know, just being different. And the health system was incredible back in those days, I have to say. So we had um, obviously a lot of time, Daniel in particular, in hospital. And Barry Taylor, um, Prof Barry Taylor was our paediatrician. So at that time, there were certain things you couldn't do in New Zealand. So we were sent to Australian, to Adelaide Children's Hospital twice. And it was just fantastic. I remember the second time we arrived on Christmas, the night of Christmas Day, and they contacted us then, and they scheduled all the appointments for the morning so that we could go from one appointment to the other and then have the afternoons to spend as a family or do something with the kids. It was They were really good. And then subsequent to that, the surgeon from Adelaide started visiting Christchurch, so... Daniel had some surgeries in Christchurch. It's got to be tough for a mum with their children going through. Well, you feel guilty. Yeah. You feel like if you'd actually known, would you know, there's all those those mm. things. But at the end of the day, they're, um, you love them to bits and you just want the best for them. The and best, yeah. yeah. But, you, yeah, you do feel a lot of guilt for yeah. what they go through. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. no, it's tough. And um, you like you're saying, you had good support. You had family around for you and... Yeah. Yeah, when you needed it. Yeah, and friends. And, and friends, yeah. yeah. And the community, actually, because um, the before we were due to go to Adelaide for the first time with Daniel, so Daniel was really ill, like dangerously ill, and 
we were due to go to Adelaide Children's Hospital and the community had arranged a fundraiser because the health system would pay, we didn't have any money yep. you know and the health system would pay for <coughs> excuse me one parent and the child but not the other parent <coughs> and so um, the operatic society they put on a um, it was actually JC's who organised it but they put a fundraiser on they were putting a fundraiser on Annie and they were going to that was a fundraiser for Robert to come but not long before the fundraiser, Robert actually died, and so that was really hard. But the fundraiser went ahead, and we went. And coincidentally, Morris was in it, who, who I subsequently married years mm-hmm. later. Um, and that money was raised, and actually a nurse from our GP practice was able to come with us because we were there for quite a while in Australia. So that was... You know, that was a community support that was just incredible. And I I guess in some ways that's why I'm so committed to community because when I had my darkest days and I needed my community, they really stood up. That was probably my next question. And dare say Gary's in that you've taken what the community's done and given for you and now you try and help as many people as you can? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And, and that's what you're known for. So I'm <clears> assuming some people will know your story or your journey or some people will just be finding it out today. But that'll make sense why you're you're very gracious in how you help people and you're very of your time and your energy um, and that. So, yeah. let Payback is payback for the community, really. Yeah. yeah. I mean, with, with Daniel... Um, yeah. Yeah, it must have been so hard. Well, for both both the boys going through lots of surgeries and so forth, and um, but yeah, it obviously was really hard on Daniel. And yeah, I, were they yeah. going to school? Um, um, you know, as, like fairly normally along that way, or how how did that go? Well, no, not really. So Jonathan had such a level of pain and things. So his last year at school was really mostly at home, and it was really hard for him because he had. Um, gained his place at university, he had, you know, booked his accommodation and all of that, but he actually couldn't go when he planned to because he ended up having massive surgery. So that was all delayed. And also just that whole, you know, that whole socialisation thing of being at school in your last year and all of that. And then for Daniel, Daniel used to go to school, you know, if he'd had surgery, he'd have like bandages on his face, you know, all of that stuff. Uh, he had an amazing group of friends, but they were all kind of little misfits that were picked on. And um, ultimately, that was too much of a burden for him, and he took his life at 16. And that, again, was quite quite a shock for us because he was such a bright, bubbly, in-your-face, argue-with-everything. <laughs> mm. <laughs> knew, knew the best, and, you know, the Apollo mission was just a conspiracy. And it, he was a cool, cool, cool kid, mm. and he would have really, really made a contribution. But when he died, like, we were just just out of the blue for us mm. because there was absolutely no, no sign. Of course, in retrospect, when you reflect and you go back and you learn what the signs are, then there were. And I think that's a gap, you know, in education around mental health and suicidality is actually there's 
there's not a lot of information about what to look for in people. So that came as a shock for us. And at the time, I was on the CCS National Board and um, they were fantastic. Like we just, again, a whole wraparound support was really cool. But um, I'd learned from when Robert died to maybe just not let myself go down that mental health well, you still grieve, but I just handled it in a different way. Mm. And so um, that was good because we were more able to deal with it because just for those reasons. And um, a year after Daniel's death, because he was late, it was essentially texts was the final straw. And a year after his death, I was actually contacted by the, um, I've got to think what the, Sunday Times? Oh, sorry, I've forgotten yeah. the paper. Um, it was a national Sunday paper anyway. Mm. And um, they asked if they could do a story on Daniel because essentially he'd been text bullied. And I said no. And then I thought about it and we talked about it as a family and we thought, well, here's an opportunity to actually raise it and confront it and actually make people aware that, you know, this is a dangerous pastime, you know, really. This is, these tools aren't always safe. So I, they rang me like, oh, look, honestly, about every 10 minutes, I was just, it was just awful. In the end, I said, yes, I would do it as long as my friend Sue Bramwell, who was the marketing person for CCS at the time, she was also a journalist, if she could write the article because we wanted control and the editor said oh no we don't do that um she's you know she's freelance we don't engage freelance journalists and I said well that's fine there's no story and then about five minutes later she rang back we've talked to Sue she's fine we'll do it <laughs> and um that was the only way I would have done that because mm. I want I didn't I wanted to respect my son mm. and to have some control over the narrative, um, and also I wanted an outcome. I didn't just want this, you know, big headline, in-your-face, emotive story. I actually wanted something that would create change. So it, Sue wrote the story with me, and we that was the whole spin was we need to do something about this and these are the things we can do sort of thing. And that was fine, but I was really nervous about the community's um, appetite for that and so we had a sleepless night on the Saturday night because of course we we didn't see it but we were we did have assurance that it wouldn't be changed but I still didn't know how the community would take that because essentially we're criticizing people's behavior in our community so I just felt sick and Morris went down and got the paper and that the headline was boy text bullied to death that was the only bit that we did not have any control over. And so I was just beside myself thinking, well, that's it. Well, it couldn't, I couldn't have been more wrong. Um, the community just came, like the country, came out in support, but so did the local community. And that's where they started talking about school policies on, you know, on text bullying and the, a whole lot of change started. But I have to say, I look now at where we've got to, and actually nothing's changed. It's just got worse. Yeah. 
which is which is pretty sad because we tried. If we had any parents listening now of teenagers that are concerned, you said there's, there's signs looking back. Yep. What would you say to help out any parent? They, you know, they're just wondering or thinking or worried or concerned. What would be your best advice? It's hard to it's hard to give advice, but um, there's things to look for. Like he was exercising a lot. He wasn't eating a lot. He was being helpful in different ways. He was happy to pose for photographs. There were just little incremental signs. Yeah. The best, and he talked to us. I think that was the thing. He, we did have good communication. But, you know, teenagers, they have their own lives that's away from their parents. And if you are worried as a parent, you need to talk to somebody who can give you some insights as to where you can go to find out what you might need to do. And actually, school counsellors are a pretty good place to start. Yeah. It's yeah. hard to know where to go for that help. And then after the event, so when Daniel died, and this has changed, so just a big shout-out to Catholic Social Services, because knowing um, knowing that their father had died um, in similar circumstances, knowing that... Daniel had died as a result of his own hand. Knowing that Jonathan was at home really vulnerable because he'd been disconnected from his social contacts, I asked for help. And I was, for Jonathan, and I was told, is he threatening harm? And I'm like, no. But actually, because this has happened in our family, the risks are much higher. And they went, oh... No, if he's not threatening harm, then and we could go and pay for help, which we couldn't afford to do long term. We could afford to do in the short term, but not long term. Um, and anyway, Catholic Social Services, I had a contact into there, and they were just fantastic. And they sent this wonderful Irish gentleman, and he came in and he said, "We don't, I don't work with individuals." I work with families. And so he supported our family for years. Oh, wow. And through some of the surgeries and things that Jono had, and he did it in a way that it was just really easy and conversational and supportive without being a big deal. But if it hadn't been for him, we would have had to find money for something that actually we shouldn't have even had to think about finding money for, you know? Yeah. And that hasn't changed in some ways. And <clears throat> yeah, I mean, you say nothing's changed. I think there's at least a, a greater awareness. I think that, you know, the whole text bullying thing is, yeah. is, is absolutely far too rampant and so on, but there is a bit more awareness now. There is awareness, but the effect isn't changed. No, no. But, but actually, actually, Gary, you've reminded me, there are some really cool things happening. Schools are banning phones during mm. school, and I think that is a really huge, huge step forward. Yep. And I have to acknowledge that because that was the thing we didn't understand why kids texting. And what we didn't realise either was that they text all through the night. Like as a parent, you think, oh, okay, well, they've gone to bed now. But actually, and parents today are much more aware of that. And we used to like when our youngest son, when Morris and I, we had um, Ryan, and when he got to that age, we would take his phone off him 
at night, not realising all he'd done is taken the SIM card out and could put it in another phone. Mm. So, you know, it's, um, I think, awareness and um, a bit more, uh, how can I say it, that the people that actually engage in the text bullying need to understand the impact because it's easy to do something remotely mm. without taking any responsibility for the impact that has. Mm. So you took the opportunity to, to share the story more widely yep. as well. Yep. And there, I think that was an important thing. It, it, um, I think a lot of people appreciated that. Yeah, and, and I was so grateful they did. Um, I teamed up actually with a teacher from Rangiora and we spent a little bit of time um, going around schools, particularly in sort of Southland, South Otago. We did um, quite a number of schools in Canterbury and North Canterbury and just talking to the kids about this in the right way, um, which was which was really quite good for me in terms of, of that whole dealing with it. Um, and we got we've got really good we got really good responses from doing that, but that was just purely raising awareness. And our our strap line was if you can't say it, don't write it. Really. Mm. So, yeah, how long did you do that for? Mm. Oh, I knew you'd ask me that. Um, it was probably two or three years, really, yeah. but. Um, I just felt like for me there came a time when I needed to move on and not be doing that. Like mm. I felt like I'd made a contribution and um, my colleague in that, she was continuing on and she went into the counselling sort of route as well. And But there came a time for me when I felt for me and for my family we, we needed to kind of move away mm. and move on from mm. that and do other things to support communities. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, was, was it because of that you, you ended up with a, a royal honour? No, was that, that was <laughs> nothing other, to that do was, with that. Because oh, <laughs> no. I knew you had some had no. been awarded um, Queen an honour, yeah, yeah, Queen Service Medal, and yeah. yeah, but I wasn't sure what it was for. Yeah, no, well, just that, that, some of some of the many other things <laughs> you've been involved in. Well, that was a massive shock and surprise. Um, so I had been involved in CCS for years. So all because of the neurofibromatosis, um, and then when we had Ryan, he had he had a bit of an issue to start with, a physical issue, which is resolved. Um, because of that, I got involved in the parents group at CCS in those days. And I loved it. It was great. Like, again, amazing, incredible people doing fantastic things and I made a lot of friends there and then Phil Hope said to me one day that um, he they needed a regional rep so the regional rep was Debbie Halsey and from Dunedin <coughs> excuse me and um, she was stepping down and they needed a regional rep and what I he thought you know maybe you could stand Helen because I was part of the local LAC here and I'm like, well, I can't do that. And he went, nah, it'll be fine. There won't be an election or anything like that. It'll be just fine. You just have to talk about why you want to do it and it'll be good. So 
there was an election, wasn't there? <laughs> and there was Hine Forsyth, who is quite renowned from Dunedin, and there was somebody of similar ilk in Southland, and then there was me. And I thought, ah, blah, blah, what can I, what can I say? Who am I? I'm a mum. That's all I am. So actually that was the platform I stood on. I stood on the platform that I was a parent, that I had these kids and this is what I did in life and, and it was all very uh, low-level, just a parent thing. And lo and behold, they elected me, which was another shock because I had no idea what I was doing. So anyway, I learned pretty quickly and again, you know, with Phil's support and Lyle Thurston, who was the um, chair at the time and all of the board members, and that was that was the best experience of my life, actually, in terms of my training and development and just getting on with um, actually developing my skills as a person, not just the personal ones, but also, you know, professional ones, if you want to put it that way. And it was just amazing, except there was a wee hiccup. So I was to go up and... Um, you know, be inaugurated, if you like, into the onto the national board. And it was a national conference in Auckland at Sky City and Wendy Halsey was, you know, handing over the mantle, if you like, for the Southern Region Regional Rep. And like two weeks before I was diagnosed with breast cancer, which was, again, unexpected, no family history, nothing like that. So I left Paul Morris. It was like, oh, Morris, I haven't got time for this. I can't do this now. You sort out the medical insurance and you do all the things because in the public system the waiting time then was quite a long time. I've got this conference to go to. So I beetled up to this conference and um, Wendy Halsey said, oh, is there anything I can do to help you? And I said, yes, do you know a good naturopath? And told her what, what had happened and so she put me on to a lady in Dunedin who I swear saved my life. Um, and tragically, years later, Wendy Halsey died of breast cancer, which was pretty horrible. But, you know, that whole thing was just great. Never thought about anything personal the whole time I was there. And then I was elected um, consistently. I think I was there for like seven years, represented from the bottom of the South Island right through to South Canterbury over into central Otago. And it yeah, it was the best training ground. Not for mm. profits are an incredible training ground. Mm. And then years later, when I was working as Alison Banks's uh, active transport coordinator, very eclectic work history. <laughs> after I'd been in Plunkett, what was Alison doing then? That you needed to be her transport coordinator. She was council's community safety ah, yes, officer. That's right. Yes. Yeah, and community development and yeah, 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 looking after all that area. So. Um, Anyway, I was doing that and a job came up in CCS, because I'd resigned from the CCS board by that stage, and a job came up in CCS that I thought I could do on my ear, and I went and applied for it and didn't get it because I didn't have a piece of paper, which made me really grumpy. And Alison was getting her pieces of paper at the time, and she said, oh, you could do this, and I went, oh, damn well, well, I'll go and get the piece of paper. So her and I did a um, did a um, capable Bachelor of Applied Management process, but I didn't end up 
getting that, I ended up coming out with a Bachelor of Social Services and Graduate Diploma in uh, Strategic Management. And you've put that to good use. Well, (laughs) I don't know. I just got the paper because (laughs) I was really annoyed. (laughs) I didn't get a job because I didn't have a piece of paper. Yeah. And that that started your... Um, involvement with the council and the community a bit more or I was already involved yeah. with council by that stage yeah. but it did give me the courage to step up into Alison's shoes when she left in the community development role yeah. but I didn't know what I was doing don't <laughs> don't tell the mayor but I had no I knew community was a word and development was a word but I never actually put them together yeah. had to google it <laughs> Well, I think, to be I think fair, it was a sometimes the mayor doesn't know what he's doing either, so he can <laughs> relate to you there. But yeah, it was yeah. a different. Mayor. It was a different mayor. You, you, you're talking about that different mayor <laughs> yeah, too, yeah, obviously, Damien. Yeah. 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 So, so when was that? When did you take on that role? Oh, look, don't ask me years because I can never <laughs> remember years. But it was. I've been at council. Like, if I think of the stronger Waitaki mm. stuff. Um, 2012 would have probably been when I took that community development role. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you you obviously found your feet pretty well um, and you were pretty key to starting up what was then Safer Waitaki. Yeah. So talk us through that and what it's about because, you know, a lot of people are involved in it and will know about it, but there's a lot of people that don't. So... Safer Waitaki was my get-out-of-jail-free card because I didn't know what community development was at that stage. Um, but I did, I, I think I had 15 hours a week and the community development role was a new role and it was to prove, I guess, the worth of it and also to try to make it sort of sustainable. And only six months, I think, originally, that was kind of the deal. And so I... Um, knew I needed help because I didn't know what I didn't know. So I looked at um, different models and the Safer Communities model to me looked like it was a collective impact model, so it used collective intelligence and everybody's skills. Um, And it had, because of that, it also gave collective benefit. And I looked at that and thought, well, actually, if for any reason in the future council decided or the community decided that they didn't need this role, then the community under this model could potentially just yeah. carry on and do it, which is what I wanted. So I I asked 17 um, totally unrelated organisations to come to a meeting, and it was at that time, was a good time, because the funding, there was really competitive funding environments, there wasn't a lot of money around for people, um, community issues bubbling up and you know people worried about where they were getting money to do things so that's how I sold it it was like if we uh, uh, talk through the model if we approach it this way then ultimately we will get more for our community collectively and so the mindset it was just the right time eh? the mindset was there and everybody was quite keen so they set up a steering group and that was chaired originally by Paul Olson and um, Pat Taylor, who who was well known in our community, and it just really went from there. And so that group still meets, <coughs> uh, I believe, monthly. And well, that group.
groups grown from 17 yeah. organisations to 185, yeah. and it has various various groups within the group, Damien. So the actual steering group has become the stewardship group, and we've targeted specific levels of organisation, people of influence to be around that table. And then under that, there's the management group, which meets you right monthly. And then sitting underneath that, or feeding into that, because they're not subservient, they're feeding in, um, we have a number of working groups that are targeting specific um, specific parts of the community in terms of where the help or the vulnerabilities needed, and also where development. So we've got industry link, we've got child and um, we've got, sorry, family whānau, mental health addictions, family violence, sexual violence, housing, you know, just a whole lot. So if we look at um, mental health and addictions as, as an example, essentially it's bringing together all of the different operators in that mm-hmm. particular activity across the district. And to me, it's, you know, the opportunity to, for them to, to be working together for that collective impact. Um Avoiding duplication where possible when filling the gaps where they're needed. Absolutely spot on. And that's exactly how it works. And it also provides a really strong advocacy potential for the community because individually it's hard for organisations to advocate or criticise their funders, whereas as a collective we can do that really effectively. And that's worked for our benefit so um, there was an independent review of mental health and addiction services across the southern region called Tahurihanga that was done um, a couple, few years ago now, not that long ago. Out of that, from, from that um, quite in-depth review, there came some recommendations to improve mental health and addiction services across the southern region long overdue and really uh, a really comprehensive review and recommendations and what that network, that mental health and addictions network we've got has enabled us to do is to participate with what is now Te Whatu Ora in actually bringing the recommendations to life. So currently we are working with them on child and youth service design, development and also crisis support because currently if people have a mental health crisis here they either go to um, Waitaki Community Mental Health who are really under-resourced or they end up in the police mm. back of a police car off to Dunedin or yeah. something and that's just unacceptable. So working with all of the stakeholders including um, mana whenua and Pacifica and everyone else, we've come to the point where we're at the sharp end of actually developing a service for here. And then out of that um, collaborative discussion, then other opportunities are coming forward as well. So it's a real, it's it's a really effective mechanism. That's mm. no, very powerful and, and serves a very good purpose. And I think it's also set Waitaki District up as being a bit of a, a leader Yep, and I honestly have to say in terms of that um, Waitaki being a leader and this whole community development model, I mean, Stronger Waitaki is 
Council's community development model. It could never have happened. Like, I just feel so fortunate when I talk to other councils and my colleagues in other councils. Our council was always really open, progressive. Um, they have enabled this. So without council support, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have this ability as a community to respond in the way that we do. So we've been very fortunate, and it has been collective impact gen genuinely across all levels of our community. Yeah, I think it's been a case really of um, what's Helen up to now? Well, she <laughs> seems to be doing some good stuff. We'll yeah. just let her go and yeah. do it. Um, yeah. but, but along the way, the council decided, actually, you'd be quite handy on the, the board of the hospital. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'd forgotten about that. <laughs> yes, you did. Which has been a few challenges along the way. But, um, yes. yeah, have you enjoyed it overall? No. Um <laughs> I, and that's honest, I haven't. Yeah. I've enjoyed the people um, and I'm, I'm very proud of the team and where we've come to after what's been probably, you know, one of the most difficult um, journeys of my life in terms of, you know, working for community and being involved in things. I haven't enjoyed it, but I'm grateful that I've had the opportunity to be part of it because it's it's so critical for our community and we had so many challenges, some of which we didn't even know we had, uh, and we've come to a place where we're actually sustainable for pretty much the foreseeable and I think no, no doubt going into the future. And that's down to the incredible people who who are loyal and committed and who work there and have supported that institution for years. And it's also down to a very skilled uh, relational leadership team now who have, who have really negotiated us back into a really good position. But it's also to council who have, you know, trusted and believed in us and... <laughs> even though we didn't tell them everything, um, uh, allowed us and supported us to get on with, with the job that needed to be done. And I think we are quite unique around the country and it's, it's an amazing asset that this community fought for and is, is going to now be seen as worthy uh, at, a, at a, you know, from a Tafotu Aura perspective, because I think we've always been seen as a private hospital, and we're not—we're a community hospital delivering public health services. Mm. And you've um, been chair for the last few years. Eighteen, uh, well, nearly two years. Yeah. Oh yes, yeah, yeah that's no, all. That'd be right. It feels like much longer. <laughs> it does. But yeah, that's that's all. <laughs> And, yes. um, yeah, just acknowledge the work that you've done and, you know, particularly this last couple of years where we've made real traction in the funding and, yeah, that, that's where the financial sustainability has really come in. Yeah. So, um, yeah, well done to you for all the work. Um, there's been, I know there's been a heck of a lot of ups and downs and there's been some very, very challenging times for for you and the board and the staff and council and community. So it's very pleasing. Um, and you, you've chosen to step back from mm -hmm. that um, and you'll be finishing in that role. 
a month and a yeah, bit. Yeah, the end of June. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and and I'm, I'm really grateful that I had the opportunity to be chair, even though I was a little bit resistant at the time, um, because it gave me a chance to sort of look at things from a different perspective and having Keith in the CE role, that's all worked out really well. And I just feel like, like now's the time to let somebody come in with fresh eyes and fresh ideas and take it to that next step. You know, all I ever wanted to achieve really was that sustainability. And I think we're there now. It's never perfect. It's health. It's, there's going to be challenges along the way. But we're in a much, much better position. And so I feel like my job is done. And now it's time to move over and let somebody else come and have some fun. Yes. They can have the fun <laughs> Yeah, they get all the easy part, Helen, after you've done all the hard yards. Well, and stuff. the yeah. team, the yeah. team yeah. did the hard. It, it, yeah. was a, it was a collective experience, trust me. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's been been good to have people like yourself, yeah. you know, just holding strong and, and getting through to this point. So yeah. thank you for that. But it's not the only thing you've been involved in, you know, at a um, board level and so on. So if no. just quickly touch on some of the other bits. I know, I know you've been involved with FENS, Fire and Emergency New yeah. Zealand. Um, I'm not, there's probably other things I'm not aware of. <clears throat> yeah, but, my, my Fire and Emergency New Zealand, I absolutely love. It's just the most fantastic organisation. So I'm um, Deputy Chair for FENS uh, Local Advisory, the Otago Local Advisory Committee, which is really um, to bring that community voice uh, to FENS to assist with their planning and the, the great work that they do and um, we meet quarterly but there's a lot of community engagement in between that and I just, yeah, I've really enjoyed that. It's been really good. And the other board was the CCS so I was on that for seven years and then other than that was the um, Otago District Health Board initially. And oh, then, that's right. You're a, you're an appointee, weren't you? Yes. Yeah. So I was initially um, appointed as a DSAC or Disability Su Support Advisory Committee. Um, I was appointed there because of my CCS background, I guess. And then I was appointed under both a national and a Labor government. So I had two consecutive uh, terms David. on the on the board. Mm. So quite a bit. Quite a bit, really. <laughs> So just begs a question, will you be running for mayor in the next election? Absolutely like, not. I think we've got a great mayor. Uh, <laughs> we had a great keep, mayor. Or keep, we, uh, keep <laughs> yeah, I think you've pretty much asked this question of anyone who comes into the I just want anyone to put their hand up. Just, uh, you know. Thanks, no. Damien. No, that's right. Um, any projects you're working on at the moment or anything that's um, passion projects or anything you want to see happen in the district? Well, I think Mayor's Task Force for Jobs is, yep. a, is a fantastic project that we're working on at the moment. And with the budget uh, announcements yesterday, we get another two years funding, which is fantastic. absolutely fantastic. But you guys took your targets off pretty quickly, my understanding. You did a really good job. You had a good team. An amazing team, again. Yeah. Yeah. So, And I think that's the benefit of local knowledge and community relationships is you know who, you know who the people with the skills are and then it's just, and I think my skill is not having skills. My no. skill is I know who the people Connect are, and, and I know yeah. how to bring them together, and twist their hands up their back to to mm. do things for us. And I think we've got a bit of a different model with that. That's mm. that's starting to be looked at um, as a potential going forward, which is great. So 
really excited about Mayor's Task Force for Jobs. The other one, um, not that I'm Mayor Sergeant Gary's um, mayoral uh, chains here, but that doesn't sound very good, does it? I'll pull that one back. But um, the other one is the um, capability, Building Capability Waitaki, which is a, an education initiative and it's a mayoral sponsor, sponsorship. Yeah, come on, Gary. So it. Sponsor that. <laughs> well, essentially, there was a whole bunch. No, of, no, no, no. That's whole, there's a whole bunch of people yes who. No, will you sponsor it? We no, go on no, no, right we've now. done. We've. It's sorted, Damien. Oh, okay. He doesn't have to. So, you didn't so have there's a done. team of people who pulled things together <laughs> and thought, well, we'll give it, yeah. we'll give it a, a, a name, and we'll. It's a mural scholarship program, and yeah. essentially, yeah, I mean, we've we've done one tranche of that, and it was putting. There's a focus on Maori and Pacifica. Yeah. giving people who are leaders in their roles in the community or in, in, in their workplaces actually that bit of paper that mm-hmm. Helen was talking about before, getting, getting them the formal qualification that actually helps them step up and take on even bigger roles. So, yeah, 10 out of 10 successes, 10 10, all getting yeah. degrees and, so and, and so on. So, yeah. We had a recipient of that on the podcast not long ago, is that correct? Yes, yes, Ralph. Yeah, 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 Ralph, Ralph Darling. Yes, yeah. Ralph Darling. Ah, see, I'm put, connecting the yes. dots together now. Well, you've got a memory, oh, yeah. like a so, something. Yeah. <laughs> um, realise we just hit the one hour mark in Helen, and you wanted to be out of here by 10, so we've just crept over. That's all right. Just crept over. Um, we didn't ask you about sport. Did you play sport? Were you active or anything like that? Or yep. you've just... You've... I loved athletics and netball, but actually my passion would be tramping. tramping. I really enjoy Tramping. It's favourite tramp in New Zealand. The old Ghost Road. Old Ghost Road. Mm. Isn't that a mountain bike track now? Yep. Is it both? It's both, and it you is, have to watch if, out for those. If you have never walked the old Ghost Road, you need to walk the old Ghost Road. It's fantastic, or or bike it, but yeah. walking it, you get more time. I know an old boy, and I know he listens to these podcasts. So Trevor Ward had to take two batteries for his e e mountain bike just to do that. So yeah, he I know. took an e-bike on the uh, e-mountain bike. Ride. Yeah, he's old though. He's very old and oh. yeah, long in the tooth. That's my brother-in-law. <laughs> I just dropped him. In. There's dropped lot him of, in. Sorry, Trevor. Lots <laughs> yeah. of steps to carry your bike up or down. Yep, yep. His nephew went, didn't no batteries, did it the hard and still finished before him. So I don't know what that says about old Trevor. But anyway, <laughs> um, but you you. Got a, a a very special home as well. Yes, and we live in paradise. Yes, yes, we do. So you know you've got tramping right on your doorstep. We're we down have. at Herbert there. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, look at that! Nice. Thanks, Gary. Um, thank you for coming in today. My pleasure. Thank you for sharing. Um, I just know yeah. Let's call you a diamond because diamonds are formed under pressure, aren't they? And just talking with you and hearing your heart and hearing your story, there has been a lot of pressure over the years, but you have turned that and you've used that to form something that's beautiful. And so we thank you for that. We thank you for um, just how you get on. You carry grace, but how you just connect people in the community. You do what you do with little to no fuss. You just get on and get it done. And um, Waitaki is a better district for it. North Otago and Omaru is better for having you here. So we just want to say thank you. And there's many people that love you in this town and and appreciate you. And um, it's really good having you on the podcast today. So thanks for coming in. Thank you for having me. Totally endorse all that. Thanks, Helen. Thank you. Well, there you go, Damien. You've learned some more stuff. You you learn 
a lot of things on all of these podcasts, don't you? I think the only reason I keep doing it is I learn so much. Um, but I love Helen. I love people like Helen, but Helen is, yeah, I know I called her a saint, but there can't be too many people that does what she does and just gives of her time and her energy and um, and wants to see a better district mm. and actually does it, just doesn't moan on Facebook or doesn't, you know, she actually gets in and, and does it. So she, we are blessed to have Helen in this absolutely. town. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, um, yeah, yeah, we didn't, you know, Helen touched briefly on Morris at times yeah. and, and so forth and just acknowledge the times that he gets dragged along to, to help out <laughs> yeah. on all sorts of things. I'm and, sure he loves it. You know, yeah. and, and, you know, mm-hmm. the, the support that he gives as well. But, um, yeah, Helen, it, it's so good working with Helen um, because, you know, you can just rely on her to, to get results. It's mm-hmm. just such a positive thing. Yeah. Mm. Oh, we'll catch you next week. Will do. All right. All the best.